just kind of whoops. Um, if, you, if you've been with us this fall, then what you know, and Brian mentioned earlier, is that we've been looking at this, this really this huge topic of the kingdom of God. Um, this topic that spans from the very beginning of the Bible until the very end. And what we find is that when Jesus shows up, when he shows up and he takes on flesh and he walks on this earth, one of the things that he talks about so much is this kingdom that he has come to bring. And we're looking at it not in a way that we're simply dissecting it um, necessarily piece by piece, but we're looking at it in a way that we're going through um, one of the Gospels. We're, we're going through one of these records of Jesus' life here on earth. And particularly, we're looking at it in a way that we kind of get, we catch a glimpse of what this thing is, what it looks like, what it's all about, through the eyes of Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples. We heard from Matthew just a little bit earlier, um, we heard about him and the assurance of grace that Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was somebody who was despised um, really by his own family, most likely, um, certainly by his own culture and society. And yet when Jesus came, Jesus loved him. And Jesus offered him forgiveness. And what you see is that Matthew says, let's go have a party. Because that is amazing. And more tax collectors came and more sinners came. And he says that there's many people like this, scum like this, who followed after Jesus. That the kingdom is like this, that it offers incredible forgiveness. And so we're going to look at that specifically this morning. That What, what is this forgiveness and, and how does it play out in the kingdom of God? How, how important is this in the kingdom of God? We're going to look at Matthew um, starting in, in chapter 6, and then we're going to skip over uh, to chapter 18. Chapter 6, of course, is just one phrase from the prayer that we just finished praying, the Lord's Prayer. And then in chapter 18, we have an encounter that Jesus has with Peter, and then a parable that he tells to help us understand. Matthew chapter 6, this is the Word of God, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Then Peter came up to him and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who has wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. And so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported their master to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. This is God's word. Um, It is always true, and he gives it to us this morning because he loves us and he wants us to know him. So let me pray and help um, ask him for help that we might understand Father, we pray that you would give us, um, once again, that you would give us ears that can actually hear, that you would give us eyes that can actually see how wonderful and how marvelous it could possibly be that you would forgive people like us. Father, I pray that you would catch us in the ways in which our hearts hold grudges, that you would catch us in the ways in which we are slow to forgive. But Father, I pray that you would catch us in light of the way in which you have loved us so that you might change us this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, The name Keisha Thomas is probably probably not a household name uh, to many of us, but Keisha Thomas had her 15 minutes of fame back in 1996. I'm still waiting for my 15 minutes. She had hers in 1996. And it all kind of took place really through this this one photograph that was taken of her. This photograph took place in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she lived. Um, I believe it was a Saturday afternoon, and there was a rally that was taking place downtown. And the rally was um, a group of white supremacists. And so a lot lot of people from this town had showed up um, to protest this rally, and and she was one of those. And the the picture looked like this. It's really incredible picture that on the ground is a white man in his full kind of white supremacist paraphernalia. And he's somewhat curled into a ball. And on top of him is Keisha, who's an 18-year-old African-American girl. And she's laying on top of him, and she's turned so that you can see her face, that the camera catches her face. And around her is a crowd of people, and they're shouting, and their fists are raised, and... And on Keisha's face, is her mouth is open and she's screaming, and you can see that her fist is raised as well. And when I, saw, when I first saw this picture, um, even as I've described it, you can imagine almost exactly what's going on, right? That this girl shows up to this rally, and she thought maybe we'll just protest, but what happens is that anger takes over, and finally she tackles him. She begins to beat him. And that's what I first thought, because I could see that there was almost a part of me that wanted that to be the case. That I thought, this is good, right? Jump on him, hit him. But that's exactly the opposite of what was happening. And as you read the article, what you found is that this man had kind of gotten separated from the rest of his group in this rally, and the crowd had begun to circle him, and they began to push him, and eventually they pushed him down, and they were getting ready to beat him. And Keisha jumped on top of him and stretched out her arm and that was not a fist raised to hit him but it was a fist raised against the crowd that was about to beat him. And you see images like that and we hear stories like that and and I think all of us are moved because what we know is that there is nothing in this world really that is more powerful than the thought of forgiving someone who you should hate. That there's nothing more powerful than the thought of forgiving someone who has um, intensely wronged you. 
Last week, what we learned is that the kingdom of God is like this tiny little seed, right? And that it looks so small and it looks so weak, but inside of that seed is this immense and enormous power. You go, well, what is that power? Well, one of the powers that is in that seed is the power of of forgiveness. Because all of the people who are part of the kingdom of God All of the people, without exception, are people who should be shown wrath and yet have been shown mercy. That all of the people within the kingdom of God are people who should be thrown into slavery and say, you need to pay back your debt, and yet there are people who've been given, been forgiven an enormous debt. There's a great quote that I put on the front of your handout, on the front of your bulletin. The second quote down, it says this, In heaven there are only forgiven sinners. There are no good guys, no upright, successful types who by dint of their own integrity have been accepted into the great country club in the sky. There are only failures, only those who have accepted their deaths and their sins and have been raised up by the king who himself died that they may live. Jesus is saying very simply, That for those of us who know Him, that those of us who are part of this kingdom, who've known this forgiveness, that this is the whole point, that we must, it must change everything about the way that we interact with our families, with our neighbors, with our friends, with even the people that we think we love the most but often want to hurt or hold grudges against. Forgive us, we pray it every week, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it's so, it's so simple. And it's so beautiful. But it is so hard. And if there's any tool in the toolbox of the kingdom of God that he uses and he wields most effectively, it has to be this one. It has to be the fact that people who are forgiven turn around and they actually show forgiveness. And you know, Peter is wrestling with this, and you hear it when he comes up to Jesus, because I think Peter is he's starting to catch a glimpse that this is what this kingdom of God is about, and I think it scares him a little bit. I think it scares him because he thinks, what is this going to mean for how I interact with other people? And he says, hey, wait up, Jesus, let me ask you a question. If somebody wrongs me um, it, it, up to seven times, should I forgive them? And I think, you know, we think, you know, that's a lot. The people are really, you know, people are really annoying. I mean, seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven, but 77, which is really just an idiom. It's a way of saying infinitely, infinitely you are to forgive. And then he goes on and he, he explains this as Jesus always does or often does he, does, he does it through a story, through a parable. And I want to look at that specifically this morning. And I want to look specifically just simply at the merciful king, the unmerciful servant, and then the exposed heart. The merciful king, the unmerciful servant, and the exposed heart. What do we learn about forgiveness through this story? And particularly, what do we learn about it through this king and the way that he shows mercy and the way that he shows forgiveness. 
I want to point out just, just two things, and they both start with P so that you can remember them. Pity and payment. Pity and payment. And this, this king, and it was, it's easy to pass over when I read through it, and I, I confess that when I've read through this, I've passed over it too, but people smarter than me have pointed it out that this king, he has pity on this servant. And you go, why does that matter? What, is it, what does it matter that this king has pity? And what is pity? Because when you and I think about pity, um, we usually think of it in sort of a negative way. We think of, aren't they pitiful? Um, or kind of, aren't they sad? Or aren't they down here and I'm up here? But to, to pity somebody is really that you identify with them. That you see yourself in their place. That you have compassion on them. That you're, you, one of the ways that we express this is that my heart goes out to somebody, that you've often seen somebody in a situation and in a place um, that maybe you've never even been in before, but you can start to think about it, and you think, man, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that spot, and you begin to pity them. You begin to have sympathy for them. And this doesn't come naturally to us, though, right? I mean, this king, he looks at the servant, and he pities him, meaning he's thinking in his head, This guy's in a really bad spot. I can't imagine what it's like to be in his spot. I actually have compassion for him, and I begin to see myself in his situation. But I know, and you know probably and have experienced, that when somebody owes you something, or somebody has wronged you, or somebody has withheld something from you that that they should be giving to you, that one of the things that I love to do is I like to think about them paying for that themselves. That our natural bent is to think about what would it... We almost just kind of relish the fact of somebody getting what we think they deserve. And when we turn and look at ourselves, you know, if somebody, you know, maybe if somebody lies to us, then it's very easy for us to simply condemn their whole character and go, well, of course they lied to us because they're a liar. But if somebody catches us in that same situation, then what we do is we usually kind of, you know, we start to, like, explain it. Well, I mean, it was, you know, it's a kind of a complicated situation, and I was stuck here, and, like, it kind of led to this, and surely you can understand what happened to me. The last thing that we naturally, that, nat- that we naturally want to do is sympathize with somebody who's wronged us, who's offended us. The last thing that we want to see is ourselves in their actions, but it's only the depth to which we can understand our own offenses and our own debt to which we begin to sympathize with almost anybody. That we begin to sympathize and pity almost anyone in any situation because we understand ourselves and we understand what what we ourselves are capable of. This word pity is a really interesting one in the Gospels because it's used most often to describe the emotions of Jesus. And you can think about all the ways that Jesus, you know, must have felt and kind of the limited ways that we have recorded of how he actually felt, but one of the ways in which he's described feeling almost more than anything else in the Gospels is that he has compassion, that he has pity, the same word. And can you imagine that Jesus who created the world, who owns all things, he takes on flesh and he walks among the world and the world does not recognize him and he looks out on a sea of people who have wronged him, right? 
immensely. And he sees himself in their place. So much so that he puts himself in their place. You see, for Jesus to forgive, Jesus has to enter in dramatically into that situation. But it starts with compassion. It starts with pity. And the way that forgiveness takes place is the second P, is that it means payment. That, that what Jesus is trying to show Peter, and I think what he's trying to, to show us, is that all sin and that all offense, it always causes pain. And it always causes a debt. And that really, I mean, if you think about it this way, what you and I, what we owe to God is that at every moment, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind is perfectly giving Him glory, is perfectly loving Him. And every time I'm not doing that, I'm actually robbing Him of what He deserves. That's sort of a big debt. If you followed me around, at least, that's a pretty big debt. And at every moment, I'm supposed to. What I'm created for is I'm created to love every one of you like I love myself. And when we don't do that, it accrues this big debt. And and what Jesus is trying to show Peter and what he's trying to show us is that for forgiveness to happen, that debt has to be paid. Somebody has to pay it. And it's either the person who's done the offense or it's the one who forgives. When I was in college, um, I had sort of a dramatic lesson in this where I, I kind of saw it firsthand happen that somebody forgave me in a way that it really, I mean, I felt the effects of it. I'd wor- I was working at a landscaping nursery, and every once in a while I would take a job from one of the customers who would come in. I'd get to know them. And they'd say, hey, you want to come do a job for me? And I'd say, yes, you know, I need some money. And so this one guy hired me one time who he really, he, he thought I was more capable than I was, that he really wanted me to resod his entire yard but he had a very tricky yard, and it needed to be completely ripped out and graded and um, treated and all of this stuff. And, of course, I said I would do it because he was paying really well, and I'll just figure it out as I go. And what had to be done, first of all, is I had to rent um, some heavy equipment. I had to rent a tractor. And I had never actually driven a tractor before. I'd driven a bobcat, and I thought, well, these kids, you know, they've got to be pretty similar. They're not, right? They're not similar at all. And um, so one day, it's like a Saturday, and I'm trying to wrap up because I really wanted to, I'm in college, I wanted to go hang out with my friends, and I'm trying to kind of finish through this job, and I turn this tractor around, and I completely demolish this brand new, elaborate stone wall that he had just built. For those of you who maybe have built a stone wall before or had a stone wall built, they are not cheap. I knew that, that this wall was incredibly expensive. And so as I'm making my way up to the door, I'm, what's going through my mind is, first of all, I might get punched, and I would deserve it. I was negligent. Um, that he, you know, I, I might at least, you know, this guy's probably going to yell at me. And so, it, but it, it, I knew that the thing that was most painful to me was that I was saving up for a ring. And this was the job I thought that would help me get there. And I thought, not only am I not going to have this money at the end, but I'm going to owe this guy money. And I knock on the door, and he comes to the door, and I tell him, you know, 
um, I had a little accident. He's like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine, but your wall is not. And he could see over my left shoulder, he can see the carnage. And I look at his face, and what I, what I watch is I watch it turn red, and I see anger. And I think, here it comes. And then I see the anger go away. And he looks at me, and he says, Tim, it's an expensive wall that you just demolished. He said, but it's okay. I forgive you. And what he meant when he said that he forgave me was not, I'm not going to hit you, but you're still going to have to pay me. That what he meant is that you can go now. I'm going to pay for the wall. And I'm still going to pay you what, you, what I promised you for this job. And I walked away going, forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness means that somebody has to absorb the debt of the damage that has been done. And in this parable, Jesus tells about this servant who owed 10,000 talents, and it means nothing to us, right? I don't know what that means until you study it, and what you realize is that one talent, one talent equals 20 years of labor. 10,000 talents equals 200,000 years of labor. When Jesus told this parable, the people who were listening, who had gathered around at this point, probably started laughing because they thought this is some sort of joke. It would be like, there's a man who once owed his boss, you know, six bazillion dollars. And everyone's like, what is, I mean, that isn't even, there, there couldn't be a debt that that's big and Je- that is really that big. And Jesus is saying, yes, there is. And it's yours. It's actually the debt that you owe. And you have to understand that when the king forgave this servant, that what he was saying is that this is going to be costly to my kingdom. That this is costly to me. That I am paying this debt myself. When we understand this, we understand that forgiveness is always a form of suffering. That it's standing in someone else's place, the place of the one who has offended you, the, fa- the, the, the place of the one who has injured you. The mercy of this king is astounding. The mercy of this king is really lavish. And when we look at it in comparison to the servant, it stands out even more, right? That this unmerciful servant, that this is the tragedy uh, of this parable that the servant who has been forgiven so much is then immediately, and it almost seems comical, that he's immediately unwilling to forgive. And you go, how could that be the case? Nobody would really go back after being forgiven this debt. Nobody would really do this, right? They would never, after being forgiven like a bazillion dollars, go out and choke a guy who owed him a couple hundred bucks. Nobody would do that. And I almost think of people asking this question to Jesus and Jesus just standing there staring at them blankly. Like, really? No, nobody would do that? How could this guy, who'd been forgiven so much, not be forgiving? It's a great question. And I think the only answer we have is that he, doesn't, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that he, has no, that he has no real comprehension of what has just happened. That it, it hasn't sunk in 
to the depth of his being that what he deserves is slavery and that what he deserves really is death in prison. And yet what he's been granted, what he's been offered is forgiveness. And it's so obviously painful that he doesn't understand because immediately he goes out and he he puts his hands around the neck of somebody else. I don't know if you've ever touched somebody in anger before. If you've ever gotten in a fight on the schoolyard and what it felt like to punch somebody, to release that anger, that this is what's happening in this man at this moment. That he chokes him and he throws him in prison. And of course what Jesus is saying to Peter, for you not to forgive... It's so simple, right? For you not to forgive another man or another woman or a child who sins against you is for you to acknowledge simply that you do not understand the weight of the offense that has been forgiven you. That you don't, that you don't get it. The forgiveness is at the very center of the kingdom of God. The forgiveness is central to the kingdom of God. And for the Christian, forgiveness flows out of this deep sense that we just sang, and can it be that I should gain? That we never stop singing that song, I cannot believe it, right? I cannot believe that he would forgive me. That every morning I wake up and I see that there's more debt. That every turn I see that there's more to forgive. And I cannot quit marveling. I cannot quit wondering over the fact that he would actually forgive me. And I ask you this morning, just very simply, do you understand the weight of your debt? Have you, have you seen it? Have you taken it seriously? Do you understand the weight of your offense? Not just at your neighbor, but, at, but to God. Have you felt how heavy it is? And I know that you have, and I, and I have too, because one of the ways that we typically react to it is that we get, we get straight to work to try to relieve that weight ourselves. And that's really what the servant is doing, isn't it? I mean, maybe even in going out and choking this guy, that what he's thinking is still, I need to get some money back because I know that I'm still going to have to pay. I know that he's still coming after me. I know that he's not possibly that forgiving. And so I'm getting right to it, and I'm going to figure out a way to pay him back. And don't we act just the same so often? And maybe at the heart and at the root of us not wanting to forgive other people who have wronged us is really this is really this, just this feeling that, well, I've been working really hard, and now they've... They've done something against me, and I'm not going to let them get away from it, with it. What I want to ask this morning is, what, what if that weight was gone? What if it was totally gone? What if you didn't have that weight at all any longer? What if you didn't have to secure yourself? What if there wasn't a nagging feeling that one day you were going to have to pay up? Jesus is saying to Peter, do you get it? Do you understand? The debt has been paid. Like, and I'm the one who's telling you the story. I am the one who is going to pay it. And in doing so, I'm going to swallow up death for all eternity. And at this very moment, I'm not going to hold it back over your head. I'm not going to dangle it 
over you, if you see your debt and you see your sin against God for what it really is, and you see what it means for me to forgive you, what it costs me, he's saying that your life is going to be marked and the way that the kingdom of God is going to expand and grow is through the same type of forgiveness. This is why Jesus takes this so seriously. It's the result of what it means to be transformed by grace. This is why he takes it so seriously to the point at the very end, what it does is it exposes our hearts. That it, it leaves us, it begs us, you know, it begs this question, am I also merciful? Am I actually someone who's forgiving? If you, you may have noticed the way that Jesus ended this parable. He drops a literal bomb. That he says that this is, so my heavenly Father will treat you if you do not forgive. And I know we hear that and we kind of go, I'm like, all right, doesn't that go, like, for anybody who's, you know, read the Bible at all, you're thinking, doesn't that go against everything that I understand about grace? That is Jesus completely contradicting everything else I understand about and know about grace and mercy. And I would say, no, that's exactly not what he is saying. And here's why. What Jesus is saying is that if you don't forgive, if, you're, if, you're, if the way that you're trending is not towards forgiving more instead of less, then he's saying you simply just don't understand. That you've already rejected mercy. That you don't understand how great your debt is. That you don't know and understand what it means for me to forgive you. He's saying that that the evidence of understanding the weight of your debt and the forgiveness he offers is just simply our forgiveness of others. Forgiveness is the fruit of being forgiven. It's the evidence of a changed heart. It doesn't happen maybe immediately that that it is a journey for us. But ultimately, it is the fruit. If Jesus is the one who we are connected to, the fruit will ultimately be forgiveness, is what he's saying. And if forgiveness is never found there, what Jesus is saying is that you were never connected to me. That you're not a follower of me. And I just want to leave with this, because I think that some of us would leave here thinking, okay, I need to start forgiving, right? Um, I'm going to leave here, and I'm going to start forgiving, because what I desperately want is that I want to be forgiven as well, and what I want to say to those, of, to those of us who are thinking that right now, please stop. Do not leave here thinking, if I simply start forgiving, that Jesus will then forgive me. Because God will not be manipulated. And grace is not grace if somehow you are earning it. That what we leave when we hear the story, as we leave once again looking at the weight of our debt, and we're honest about how big it is, and we're honest about the fact that it's actually bigger than we can fathom, and we're honest about the fact that we've struggled to try to pay him back even though he's offered us forgiveness, and we we come to the point, leaving here, wondering and marveling once again that Jesus really has paid it all. 
that really is what the bargain is. Is that he's completely taken care of it. The king offers, maybe for some of you this morning, you just didn't know that. And maybe you came into church this morning and you just thought, I'm not sure what this is about, but I think I'm going to go to church today because what I think is that I need to be a better person than I am. We started by saying there's no good people in heaven. There's only people who've been forgiven. And that's the best news that you could possibly hear this morning is that what the king offers is that he has seen you in every bit of you, that he's seen everything that you've done and will do, and he is moved with pity, and he is moved with compassion. And what he offers you this morning is full cancellation of your debt. But not only that, he offers to fill your account with his own righteousness so that you can stand before God, even as we sung, with no condemnation, not dreading standing before him, not wondering, have I done enough? Because Jesus has done enough. And for those of us this morning who know it, we've experienced it, we've felt it, we understand it, it simply sends us out to go, how do I grow this kingdom of God? How do I participate in what he's doing? And it might start in really small ways that are incredibly powerful. It just starts by forgiving. By being honest enough about how I really am to see myself in other people and saying, yes, I forgive you. It hurts. It's painful. But there is nothing that points to Jesus more than that does. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, we beg that you help us. And we beg that you would help us most of all just to see how gracious you actually are. And that we still live so often with the delusion that you're lurking around the next corner. Um, that you're going to demand payment back from us. But Father, I pray that you would set us free from that. That you would set us free so that we might go forward into this world truly forgiving others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To our celebration of the Lord's Supper. And uh, as we come to the table, having heard what we've just